God gives us blessings in many ways. I hope you've all recovered from retreat this past week and all the blessings that you received, including the uh, sniffles and pink eyes and all the other good things that get shared at retreat. Well, we've got a blessed day this morning. We are celebrating church family together, two gospel ordinances that were created and commanded by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, specifically for his bride, the church. And those two ordinances are believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we're going to start with the Lord's Supper later, and we'll go to believers' baptism in our second hour. Uh, But the clear testimony of God's word is that in and of themselves, believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper do not save or change anyone. They do not change anything. Rather, they are given as a celebration and a participation by faith in what does save and in what does change everything, which is God and his gift of new life in Christ. And like a wedding, believer's baptism marks a believer's entrance by repentance and faith in Christ into this new life and this new beginning in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And like a wedding anniversary, the Lord's Supper marks a believer's ongoing participation in this new life and this new relationship and this new union with Christ, a participation that takes place by faith and obedience to Christ as our Savior and Lord. And so we know a wedding ceremony does not mean that a groom loves a bride. It is no protection or prevention against divorce. And we know a wedding anniversary dinner does not necessarily mean that a marriage is good. But on the other hand, where a husband does indeed love his wife and where a marriage is indeed a testimony to a relationship of sacrificial and covenant love, a wedding ceremony and a wedding anniversary are joyful and wonderful and worthy celebrations that must take place. Even as we celebrate what is good And what is the gracious gift of our Lord and Savior? And as we come to God's word, we see that these two ordinances together, the Lord's Supper and baptism, they bear witness to who our God is. And they bear witness to what a child of God is. A child of God is not just someone who comes to church on Sunday. It's not someone who was raised in the church. It's not someone whose father is a pastor. A child of God is someone who is in Christ. It is. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A child of God is someone who, Galatians 2, 20, has been crucified with Christ. And they no longer live. But it is Christ who lives in them. And the life they now live in the flesh, they live by faith in the Son of God, who loved them and gave himself up for them. Well, brothers and sisters, if that's our criteria for church membership and coming to the Lord's table and baptism, the church in America will get really small. Because it's not about our traditions or the customs of men. It's about a mighty and miraculous work of God that he does in the hearts of sinners to redeem us and to give us a righteousness and a life that is not ours, but it is his. And together, the Lord's Supper and baptism, believers' baptism, they bear witness to what the church, the body of Christ, and the bride of Christ is. And this is our big truth 
for today. The church is a celebration of our God and of the life he gives in Christ. The church is a celebration and a witness and a proclamation that Jesus Christ is the crucified and risen and returning Lord of all. Now, I know that sounds somber and serious, and maybe that's me. But brothers and sisters, the church is meant to be a gathering of God's children who come together and have every reason to celebrate. We are not here earning our salvation. We are celebrating what God has already given in Christ. And because of that, we have every reason to have joy and thanksgiving and hearts that are ready to give and serve others in the way God in Christ has loved and served us. And it certainly raises the question, church family, is this what we are? Is this what we are about? Is this what brings us to church each Sunday? Do we come to celebrate who our God is and what he's done for us? And this is the testimony of every true child of God. And this morning, we're going to go back to the beginning, to the God-breathed testimony of Genesis, to God's gift of a new life and a new beginning that was given to an idolatrous sinner named Abram, an idolatrous sinner who's not that much different from you and I. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. We're going to walk through Genesis eleven twenty-seven through 12, 8. And as we walk through, we're going to see this new life and new beginning that every child of God is given. And of course, it begins with Abram. And children, if you're with us here this morning, if you can remember or recall the commands that God gives and the promises that God gives that mark this new life in the life of Abram, and you're able to tell me or tell Ethan afterwards, there is a payday waiting for you. And we decided not to go with candy since it's after Halloween. I'm sure you're sugared out. All right, let's read God's word. Genesis 11:27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord 
and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you may recall, I may have to jog your memory, but those first words of the New Testament, the words that open our New Testament, Matthew 1, 1, the book of the genealogy or Genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of who? Abraham. And in this way, God reminds us as he's bringing us into the gospel, he's reminding us that his purpose and plan of salvation in his son, Jesus Christ, goes all the way back to the beginning. It's not an afterthought. It's not a whoops, the world's a mess, and so let me send my son. His plan and his purpose of salvation to rescue us from this sinful and idolatrous world goes all the way back to the beginning. And it goes back to his gift of new life to a man named Abram. And you'll recall Genesis is God's book of beginnings. And in the first chapters of Genesis, the Lord shows his people, he shows us that he is the holy and sovereign creator of all creation and life. He is the one who created the universe by the power of his word. And he makes it good in six literal days. But rather than trust God and his word, men chose to trust and believe in themselves. And by Genesis 11, the world has become what it is today. A cursed and idolatrous kingdom of relentless sin and death. And this is what we're reading about in the Middle East. And this is what we see in America today. A cursed and idolatrous kingdom of relentless sin and death that is in desperate need of a new beginning. And at the end of Genesis 11, as we come to the end where we were reading, the Lord God shows us, I know we walk through and we read these names and it's what's this all about, but when you look at it carefully and you listen carefully to what the Lord is saying, the Lord God is showing us how Abram's family is very much a part and product of this sinful and idolatrous world. Verse 28 of chapter 11 explains that Abram's father and his family are from Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur was a prosperous Mesopotamian city on the Euphrates River near the Persian Gulf in what is presently southeastern Iraq. And this was a region of the ancient Near East that was populated by a people who were patriarchal and tribal known as the Amorites. They were worshipers of fertility gods, especially the moon and the stars. And even today you will see in flags from the Middle East that have the crescent moon and the star. And this is what Abram and his father and his family were. They were idolaters and worshipers of prosperity gods. The prosperity gospel, brothers and sisters, is not unique to America. It is unique to the root of an ambitious and selfish heart that belongs to all men. And if you look at Joshua 24.2, have a look at Joshua 24.2 if you have your Bibles. The Lord is speaking at the end of Joshua's life, the Lord is speaking to the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. As Joshua is about to pass away and they are about to fully take possession of the land and see the promises fulfilled that God had made to Abram. And what does the Lord say to them? They've had victory. They have, as we heard in Joshua 12, conquered all these kings, defeated. And of course, the propensity when we have great victories, we celebrate ourselves and what we've accomplished. And what does God remind them? Joshua 24, 2, thus says the Lord. The God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor. And they what? Let me hear you say it. They served other gods. God is reminding them they are children of his grace. Our victories, 
our wealth, our prosperity, our blessing, they are all, if we are a child of God, a gift of his grace. What is the Lord God's point? Prior to his intervention that comes in Genesis 12, Abram and his family were no saints. And like all idolaters then and now, they were living the devil's lie. They were serving false fertility gods while they themselves were dying inside out. As you go through that section in chapter 11, the words that come up over and over again are death. First in this genealogy, Verse 28, Abram's brother Haran dies in his father's presence. Haran sees one of his own sons pass. Lot becomes a fatherless orphan. Abram's wife, Sarai, is barren and infertile. And chapter 11 concludes with Abram's father, Terah, dying in a foreign land. Abram's genealogy is that of fertility worshippers who are infertile, dying, and cursed. A church family, we may not worship the moon and stars. Might just eat mooncakes, right? And have people make auspicious dates for when we're to have our children or get married. But we have our own fertility gods, do we not? Our education, our careers, our families, our technology, all the things that we look to and look up on the internet to find a way to secure a future for ourselves and for our families. But what is it that delivers Abram from this idolatrous life of sin and death? What is it that delivers anyone then or now from this world of idolatrous sin and death? Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram. And we see it is the word of the Lord. The word of a new God in his life and the word of a new father in his life. And this brings us to our first point for this morning. New life begins with a new God and a new father. New life begins with a new God and a new father. Brothers and sisters, there can never be a new beginning and a new life while our lives are still ruled by the same old idols and lies. And chief among these lies is the lie that we can fix or save ourselves or our families. We need a new God and we need a new father who can save us from our sinful selves. And the testimony of Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is that Abram's new life does not begin with Abram being a seeker for God in Mesopotamia. Abram's not going in Ur or Haran looking for the Lord. It doesn't begin with Abram's desires or his education or his good choices. Everything that Terah and Abram have done, have brought them to the same place. It is only when the Lord speaks into Abram's life authoritatively, not as a genie, not as a friend, not as, hey, why don't you come out to this church event and be a friend? But he speaks to Abram as his God and his father. And this is what eternally changes everything. What does the Lord say to Abram? Let's hang out and have dinner and get to know one another and let me build your trust. And maybe after you come, after you've been at church for several weeks or several months, you'll hear the gospel and you'll learn and and you'll have the confidence to put your trust in the Lord. Right from the beginning, what does the Lord say? The first words that he says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. In the ancient Near East, power and authority to give commands and give blessings was the right of fathers and their gods. 
It was a patriarchal society. It was an idolatrous society. Commanding and blessing was the right of fathers and your father's gods. In America, it's the right of politicians and private corporations. So it's still old men and their gods that's ruling the roost. In verse 1, Abram's new life begins with the Lord personally taking control and command of Abram's life with his authoritative word. New life, brothers and sisters, comes with God speaking into our lives up front and telling us authoritatively what we need to leave and walk away from if we are going to be part of his life. There's no warm-up act. And as Abram's new God and father, the Lord commands Abram to separate, to cut ties, to walk away from three specific things. Go from your country, or you can translate it, Eretz, your land. And this includes Abram's culture, his faith, and his religion. That's what the land meant. It was everything. It was your life. Go from your kindred. This is Abram's tribe, his clan, his community. How often, brothers and sisters, do we come to church because we are looking for a community? Go from your father's house. And the language go from means create distance, get away from, separate your father's house. And this refers to the blessing and covering of Abram's father, Terah, his father's name and his father's gods, because in the ancient Near East, that's what protected you. I'm Terah's son. Don't mess with Terah's son. You mess with Terah's son, you mess with his gods, and you mess with his people. And in the ancient Near East, your land, your clan, and your father's name That was your past, that's your present, that's your future, that's your everything. It's what Ruth left to follow Naomi. It's what many Muslims leave, brothers and sisters, when they are baptized and publicly proclaim that they now belong to Jesus. They turn their back on all of those things and lose it all. What do we as American believers lose? when we walk through a set of church doors. And from the very beginning, the Lord commands Abram to leave it all, to go to the land that I will show you, a land that he cannot see, but a land of God's promise. So what's the Lord demanding of Abram? He's demanding of Abram literally to walk away from his entire old life so that he can follow and obey God the Lord as his new God and as his new father. What does scripture call us, brothers and sisters? This is repentance. And like father, like son, when Jesus comes to the earth, he says in Galilee, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he goes to a group of fishermen who are fishing And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they leave their nets behind. So it raises the question for us, even as two of our members are getting baptized today. Have you left your old life? Have you left your idols? Are you indeed following and obeying the Lord, not as a friend, but as your new God? and your new father. Because this, brothers and sisters, is where new life begins. And the good news of God's word is that his commands are never separate from his promises of a new life in him. Verse 2, and, and that directly connects the promises to the command that's preceded. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When the Lord here says to Abram, I will make, he's using the same 
Hebrew word that is used in Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is not an offer of a better life. This is not an offer of a better family. This is not an offer of a better church or community. This is the promise of a new creation. This is the promise that God is going to completely remake who Abram is. And later he's going to give Abram a new name. This, brothers and sisters, is the promise of a life of a child of God that completely replaces and erases Abram's old idolatrous life. And incidentally, it reverses the curse of Adam's sin. In place of the land and clan and covering of Terah and the Amorites, Abram is promised the land and the family and the covering of the Lord. In place of a life that is cursed by sin and death, the Lord promises Abram the life of his personal blessing and care so that Abram will be what? A blessing to the world, which is what God promised Adam in Genesis 1 and 2, and which was always God's plan for his children, that they would bless others in the way God has blessed them, that they would share with the world God's love, that they would fill the world with God's goodness and his grace and his truth, that instead of taking and stealing, they would sacrificially give and love even as their heavenly father. And for this gift of new life, because this is what it is, there is only one thing that God requires of Abram. What is it? Try harder? Serve in the church? All that the Lord asks of Abram is that he would trust the Lord as his new God and Father. And this brings us, brothers and sisters, to our second point this morning. New faith brings a new life of obedience to the Lord. New faith brings a new life of obedience to the Lord. Verse 4 and 6 shows us Abram's response to the Lord's unbelievable command and promise. Verse 4, so Abram went. And how did Abram go? As the Lord had told him. And so we see Abram at the age of 75. He takes his family and his possessions. He leaves his land, his clan, and his father's household. And on God's terms, on God's way, for God's promise. And this, brothers and sisters, is a living picture of what repentance and faith in Christ looks like. It leads to a new life as a child of God that is one of complete confidence in the Lord as our holy God and Father. A complete confidence that he is a God who is righteous and loving, sovereign and faithful, able to keep his promises, true to his word. It's a complete confidence that God's word is authoritative. It is sufficient. It is without error. It is true. So much so that you would bet your life and your family and your house and all your possessions on his command and his promise. It's a faith that is demonstrated through complete surrender and submission. All that we have to every last word. And the fruit of such faith is enduring obedience to God's word without delay or wavering, without questions, without complaints, without negotiation, without exceptions, without any assurance and applause from the world or family. We see at the end of chapter 11, Abram's father, Terah, stays and he dies in Haran. There is a death that takes place by following the Lord, brothers and sisters. It's what we're going to celebrate today in baptism. You're going to see two people who are going to give their testimony of how the Lord has spoken into their life. 
And the new life they embark on is a celebration that they are now children of God, that they live by the promises of God, but because of that, they have a new family, a new father, and they live by a new promise. And their old lives have been completely replaced and erased with the goodness and grace of a new life from God. And it is a life of enduring obedience because it is a life that trusts in God as their heavenly father. And this becomes Abram's new life of faith. And it's a life that obeys the Lord on his terms and not ours. And we see this in verse 5b. It says, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram, what? I'm glad this is done. Move, got out of there. Family's gone, free from terror. I can let loose. What does it say? He passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morai. He takes his family to the place that the Lord shows him. And in the rest of the passage, he walks through the promised land. He takes his family on a camping trip through the promised land that the Lord has promised. And as they go through this promised land, it doesn't look like theirs. Why? At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. They're looking, what is this foreigner doing walking through our land? It's a lonely path, brothers and sisters, to follow the Lord. Our families don't understand. Our friends don't understand. The world doesn't understand, and they wonder what we are doing. But walking with the Lord in his presence is to walk through his commands and his promises. And this is what Abram's doing. And not only is he doing that, brothers and sisters, he's doing it with his family and his children, and they don't entirely get it either. Fathers, husbands, you're called to walk with the Lord if you are a child of God. Your wife might not understand, your children might not understand, but do you walk through and say, these are ours, these are ours, these are ours, because the Lord has commanded. And someday these promises, by God's grace, will be yours. And as Abram lives and walks the commands and promises of God, every step he takes, takes him further from his idolatrous past, and it brings him closer to the Lord as God and as his Father. Brothers and sisters, how much of our lives are led and driven by our to-do list? I'm a Christian. I need to do A, B, C, D, E. I need to serve in the local church. I need to help out with retreat. I need to do children's ministries. When we're raised in the church, brothers and sisters, that's how we tend to think. And yet what the Lord has called Abram to do is not to live by what he needs to do, just like our work and our jobs. He's calling Abram to live by what he has. God's presence, God's command, and God's promises. Now in the church, we get hung up on one of those things and forget the other. We're all about God's presence and having a good time at church. We forget the commands. We're all about God's promises, name it and claim it, but God's commands are far away. But God is never separate from his presence, his commands, and his promises. And these are the gifts to a child of God. You inherit all of them. And so God calls us to live when we live by faith. Not by what we need to do as if we have to earn our Father's love. But the richness of what we already have. And what God's given us in Christ. And what is the purpose of these gifts from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it's to draw us to the Lord. And it's to open our eyes and grow us in a knowledge of who our God and our Father is. If you never obey the Lord, brothers and sisters, you will never know the greatness of his love for you and who your heavenly Father is. We don't obey to earn his love. But obedience marks the path along which the Lord himself walks with his children. And as we walk that path of obedience by faith, brothers and sisters, and we do so by holding the hand of our Heavenly Father, we grow in an appreciation and knowledge of how much he loves us and what he's doing in our life and where he is taking us. 
And this, brothers and sisters, is called sanctification. It is the process by which God matures and grows his children in their fellowship with him. And as you see in Abram's life, it is not a zap. It's not a came to Jesus at the altar and suddenly everything's better. It's a step-by-step-by-step process. And the objections that we hear so often from people is they say, I I lack the desire. I don't have the heart. I lack the faith. So I can't do it because I just don't have the faith. And yet, as you see in Abram's life, God has given Abram everything he needs. And faith is simply taking one step at a time by doing what the Lord has commanded and trusting the Lord to bring you to the very next step. This, brothers and sisters, is the life of Abram. This is the life of Ruth. This is the life of King David. And this is the life of God's holy and beloved Son, Jesus Christ. It is a life of obedience, one step at a time. Obedience to God as Father. And it is this obedience and this life of obedience in the presence and the promise and commands of God that blesses the world and all the families in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's a path of obedience that leads us to one place. It brings us to the cross. This brings us to our third point for this morning. A new life of faith leads to a new worship. A new life of faith leads to a new worship. As you follow the life of Abram, who is a model for faith, you see that the life of faith and obedience of God is a journey. We are not meant to stay in the same place. We're not meant to stay in the same place as fathers. We're not meant to stay in the same place as husbands. We are not meant to stay in the same place as children. And the beauty of a life of faith is God leads us step by step by step where we need to be. And where does this new life of faith and obedience in Abram's life lead? Verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram. This is referred to as a theophany an appearance of God. God begins in Abram's life with a word. But then as Abram walks in obedience and in faith and the commands and promises, as the world thinks he's nuts and he's crazy, the Lord appears to Abram. And this is probably an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Brothers and sisters, obedience to God's word does not earn God's love. It's the fruit of God's love in our lives. And God's desire for us is that we would see him and know him for who he is according to his word and as our heavenly father. And as Abram does this, his old life fades away as does his old worship. And a new fellowship and a new intimacy with the Lord grows. And what sustains Abram and what encourages Abram along the way as the world thinks he's crazy and as the Canaanites think he's crazy and his kinsmen and his family and his old world thinks he's absolutely crazy. Where does he receive encouragement and assurance? In a walk that is, from the world's perspective, lonely and also from the world's perspective, crazy and a loser. His assurance comes from the presence of the Lord in his life, his growing knowledge of who the Lord is, and it comes from the word of the Lord. As you walk through the life of the great saints, from David to the reformers, in their moments of discourage and loneliness, when things aren't working well and they struggle to see the promises coming real and they're trying to live by the promises, but it's hard. God's encouragement comes through his word and his presence in their life. And it leads them to a place of worship. And what is God's word to Abram? He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. How many children does Abram have at this time? Nothing. 
And yet God's encouragement to him as he walks the land is to come back and restate his promise to Abram. Brothers and sisters, when life is tough, how often do we need to rehear the promises that God has already given us? How good and gracious is our Lord who comes alongside and gives us what we need and what we need most is his presence and his promise. What is Abram's response? It says, so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. He gets going and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. An altar is a place of sacrifice. It is meant to be a testimonial, a memorial, typically built of uncut stones, that is a tribute and an honor to your God. It is a testimony to fellowship and union with that God, and to call upon the name of the Lord is a technical term. What's Abram doing? Well, first of all, he's not trying to earn favor from the Lord. It's the other way around. God has blessed him and taken care of him. Wherever he goes through this idolatrous place called Canaan, he is giving a living and public testimony through the altar and through publicly calling on the name of the Lord. He's letting everybody know in the land, this is the land of the Lord. He is my God. He is my Father. I belong to him. It's a public testimony. Later this morning, baptism, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see two people share their testimonies. And nothing changes as they go into the water and they come out. But it is a public testimony. We're children of God. We belong to him. Why? Because we've received his command. We've received his promise. We've received his presence. He is our God and Father. I have a new family. It's called the church. And I have this family because Christ has risen from the grave and he saved me. And it's entirely a gift of his grace. It is, brothers and sisters, a new worship that's been given to Abram, no longer to idols, but to a living God who, instead of dangling a carrot and say, hey, if you do what I want, good things are going to happen to you. No, you have the greatest treasure. You have me. You have my presence. And because you have me, you have my fellowship, you have my worship, you have my promises, and you have my commands. Brothers and sisters, the new life that God gives is meant to be a life of worship. The new life that God gives as children of God is meant to be a life that reflects who our God is, that it bears witness that we are children who are loved. You know this. You see and interact with children. The children in our church, you go and watch that on talent show night, right? You look at that. You know those children are loved. You just have to travel around the world a little bit, and you will meet and see, and you can tell it in a minute. This is a child who's come from a family where the father's been absent. This is a child who's come from a family where he has not been disciplined or loved. This is a child who, you know, you can see it 10 miles away. And we see the love that God gives Abram for a purpose for the world, that the world might see and know the love that God has for sinners like Abram. Now it's worth noting, as we come to Abram's worship and the building of this altar, that there is conspicuously in both occasions no mention of a sacrifice here. And this brings us to our final point for this morning. The Lord's worship leads to a new sacrifice and a new righteousness in Christ. Ephesians 5.2 says, and this is a command, non-optional, and walk in love. Earlier he says to imitate God as our Father. Imitate him. He's your Father. And we're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Does our new life in Christ require a sacrifice? It does, brothers and sisters. And as you go to Genesis 22, God comes to Abram 
who now has the son or child of promise, Isaac. And he asks Abraham to take this child, who is the child of promise, and to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah, which will be where Jesus will later be crucified in Jerusalem. What does Abram do? Have a look. He gets up early in the morning. Doesn't waste time. Takes Isaac with him. He doesn't give a lot of explanations. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to understand everything God is doing. We can't understand everything God is doing in our lives. We are not smart enough. We are not wise enough. And certainly our sinfulness blinds us. All we need to do is trust that he is a good God and Father. And so Abraham goes, and as you know, he voluntarily makes the sacrifice. And all that God asks of Abraham is what rightfully belongs to God. This is the life that he has given. Are you a child of God, brothers and sisters? There is a sacrifice. God calls you to give what is rightfully your father's, the life he has given you. It belongs to him. It does not belong to you, your time, your resources, your energy. Everything that the Lord has blessed you, it does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. And perhaps there may come a time where the Lord will test you and he will ask, will you give to me all the love that I have given to you. Parents, later this morning, there's going to be a parent dedication. It's a tradition. It's not an ordinance of Christ. Why do we dedicate our children to the Lord? Well, we hope the Lord will protect them. We hope they get saved. But are we giving our children away to the Lord? Are you willing, as Abraham, to say, this child is entirely a gift from the Lord? I did not deserve it. I've been blessed with it. It belongs entirely to him. And if the Lord calls my son to be a pastor, if the Lord calls my daughter to be a missionary, if he calls them to go and share the gospel in a distant place, am I willing to let go? Am I willing to see God use my child to be a blessing for others? Well, that's a hard one, isn't it, parents? Until we remember what God has given. And then we see that God interrupts Abraham. And instead of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, he provides a ram. And it is a foreshadowing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That Abraham's sacrifice that he will be unable to give and it's not good enough. And the righteousness that he does not have, his best obedience, is exchanged. And what he is given as we see centuries and thousands of years later, is the sacrifice of God's own Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who provides the righteousness and sacrifice that Abraham and we do not have, but instead is given as a gift from the Lord. And as we look, brothers and sisters, at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, especially as we come to the table in the Lord's Supper and we celebrate his sacrifice on our behalf, what we see to some degree is a mirror image of Abram. Abram left a terrible life, a life of sin and idolatry and a family that was going nowhere. And he was given an entirely new life as a child of God. And we see in our Lord and Savior, someone who is the eternal son of God, who was in glory, in perfect fellowship with his father, giving up his place and coming and exchanging it for the life of a slave and a servant to come under the law and to come into a terrible world and to sacrifice all of that in a life of obedience and faith so that you and I could have a sacrifice and a righteousness that we do not have and so that we in turn might become like Abraham. And that by faith, we might become children of God, possessors of a new life. Brothers and sisters, what is the church? What is a child of God? 
What is it that we celebrate? Let's not settle for what the world says the church is. A gathering of folks to get together, a community for people, a place where we can feel better about ourselves. Hey, let's build a movement. Brothers and sisters, our Heavenly Father has given us the church and he has given us his son and he has given us a sacrifice and a righteousness so that we might celebrate who he is, a good and holy and loving Heavenly Father, so that we might know him as such, so that we might be like his son, we might live by the power of his spirit and that we might celebrate and enjoy and bear witness that Jesus Christ is indeed the crucified and risen, returning Lord of all, that we might celebrate that there is only one giver of new life, and that is the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you know this God? By faith, are there things in your life that you need to walk away from in order to follow and be with him? Today is the day to do it, brothers and sisters. Are you his child? Then celebrate and enjoy. And walk in love and love others as Christ has loved you. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, what a Savior we have. What a King and what a Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus. Your words are clear. To walk with you, we must leave our past lives. But in exchange, Lord Jesus, we receive your commands, your promises, your presence. We receive an entirely new life, a life at times which is hard and difficult for sure, but a life that is the life of a child of God, more precious than anything this world has to offer a treasure which you have given your life and your blood so that we might know and walk as children of the Most High God. Would you help us this day to celebrate this truth? In your name we pray. Amen.